Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Ollie, our dog, has been a part of our family for a little over two years now. And I remember when we first got him as a puppy and we'd take him on a walk. I mean, he would just dart off in every direction. I mean, sometimes he still kind of does, but really when he was a puppy. So if he would see a dog, if he would see a bird, a squirrel, a rabbit, another human being, or a fly, or whatever, he would just want to dart off. And he was always pulling us in all these different directions. And I remember thinking like, man, are we walking our dog? Are we walking Ollie? Or is Ollie walking us? And sometimes you couldn't really tell the differences. And as I thought about this dynamic between Ollie and us, between our dog and us, I couldn't help but think about that dynamic between myself and Jesus, because the invitation of of Jesus is to come live as I live, come do as I do. But am I following him where he wants to go, or am I trying to get him to follow me where I want to go? When you read through the gospels, you see uh, lots of people wanted to be associated with Jesus, but very few followed Jesus. They wanted to be fed by Jesus. They wanted to be healed by Jesus. They wanted to be taught by Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be included in their life, but the invitation of Jesus is for us to be included in his life, right? Like that's the invitation. Not that he would be involved in us, but he, his life, that we would be involved in his life. So let me ask you, Christian, And really, here's the challenge for today, and it may be a challenge, is are you trying to send Jesus into your mission, or has Jesus sent you into his mission? Are you simply trying to be a good example, or are you following his example? And the problem that you and I have in America, 2021, is that we can redefine, we can define and redefine the term Christian until we're fine. So we can make what it means to be a Christian to mean a thousand, a million different things. And so we can define it in all different kinds of ways. But to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, well, that's narrow. And to be honest with you, you don't even really have to define it because it's pretty Simple. So in this passage that we're in today, so we're, we're ushering in, a, or we're, we're going through a two-part series uh, in this section of scripture in Luke 10, and we'll also be looking at Matthew 10, they're parallel uh, sections of scripture. Um, there's a transition going on here. There's a shift from the theme about what is Jesus and what has he come to do to uh, what does he ask of us? So what is the key attributes of Jesus to what is the key attributes of a disciple. And that's exactly what we see here in uh, chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. And one of those key attributes, which is really the theme of the day, is that one of the key attributes of a disciple is that they live sent, that they are sent and they live sent by Jesus. So even the, ver- uh, the very first verse, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is sent by Jesus. The the word sent here is a Latin word, missio, where we get our word mission. So if you ever hear us talk about like, hey, we want to be on mission and we're on mission and let's be on mission and we value mission. What we're really saying is that we have a desire to live sent by Jesus. When we say we want to be on mission and and you should be on mission and, and that the call is to be on mission, what we're really saying 
is to be a follower of Jesus, to live sent, because that's what disciples do. They live sent by Jesus. We do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, regardless of the cost. It's what every disciple is called to do. In Luke 9, we see the ministry of Jesus, and uh, or up until Luke 9, we see the ministry of Jesus, uh, which is, you know, he preaches the gospel, he casts out demons, so he, he relieves people, whatever controls them, uh, he heals them, he mends the brokenhearted, he, he touches uh, blind eyes and, and uh, uh, people who are lame, people who can't speak, and he, and he heals them. And then in chapter nine, he, he, he sends out the 12. Uh, so he doesn't send out the 72 yet, but he sends out the 12 to do ministry. And if you, if you read chapter nine without reading chapter 10, you might think, well, of course, you know, if we got ministry to do, let's hire professionals because that's what Jesus did. He got 12, you know, professional guys that, you know, that would go on to lead the church. And, and that's how ministry is done. Ministry is done by the professional. And this is, partic- this is a particular temptation in our culture. Um, and there's a reason for that. I, I read a book this, I don't know, five, six years ago um, by this woman. It's called The Outsourced self. And, and she taps into what, uh, you know, sociologists have been talking about for years, which is that, that the community that you and I experience is becoming really thin. And we, you know, the average person will move 11.7 times in their life. And um, in this transient culture where, you know, we chase jobs all around and, it, you know, we, we begin to outsource things that typically a community would do. And so, for example, like the, the counseling industry over the past you know, several decades have just skyrocketed because no one has anyone to talk to. No one really feels like they have anyone to talk to. And so that's skyrocketed. Now there's other reasons to do counseling, but, but it's skyrocketed partly because, well, what we don't have family around, we don't have really deep friendships, and so we need someone to talk to. Or uh, dating services. It used to be that the community would help you to find someone to marry, and now we have dating services to do that. In fact, there's even something that she calls a namologist, which helps you name your children. Um, and there's a growing industry as well. as like when you die, if, like if you can pay people to be at your funeral or you could pay them to go and deliver your ashes to the ocean or the location of your choice. And her point, and really the point I want to bring up, is that we've never lived in a time where you and I are tempted to come into a church setting and say, ministry is done by professionals. Everything in our lives is outsourced, but we can't outsource this because we are called to do it. Every Christian is called to do this. It says in verse one that we are appointed, that you are called, you are appointed to do ministry. Every disciple is doing that. The number 72 is very significant. He sends out 72 others in Genesis 10. Um, I'll try to say this as succinctly as possible. Uh, We see that there are 72 nations, the table of nations. This basically meant like everyone in the world. And so while all 72 of these men and women are Jews, it's foreshadowing that this would be an invitation to all nations. The, The point is this is for everyone. This isn't just for a select few. This is for everyone. He calls everyone radically in. He heals them. He blesses them. And then he calls us radically out to go be a blessing, to go out and be a blessing. And this is all throughout the scripture. So he calls Abraham, Abraham, I'm calling you in and now I'm sending you out. Genesis 12. You know, he calls Moses, he calls Moses to the burning bush so that he could send them out. And he calls his disciples in, he calls them to be with him so that they would go out and preach and do mission, that they would live sent. And that is true 
for you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live sent. You are called to live on mission. So what does that mean? Well, it means that God has called every single one of us to do that. So Ephesians 2 says that we have been predestined. If you go to the growth track, um, step three, which will be uh, not this month, but next month, you'll, we'll, you'll, we'll talk a lot about this. Like we have all been predestined um, to walk in good works, that we are his masterpiece, that he has uniquely made us in certain ways. And that means all of our ways, our, our personality, our gift mix, our, our gender, our race, um, our successes and our failures. And almost, I would say, especially our failures. He uses all of that in a very unique way to reach certain people. There are some people that only you can reach. There are certain hands that only you can hold. There are, there are certain hearts that only you can heal. There are certain people only you can reach. God has, before the foundation of the world, uniquely made you on purpose. We are all made on purpose for a purpose. And it's only when you go out in mission, when you live sent, I am sent, I am going out on mission. It's only when you do that, do you really discover the true meaning and purpose of your life. And that's what Jesus wants to do. Uh, most of our culture says that everything is just an accident. We're just here by accident. And, you know, this, you know, we, we try to do the best we can. We live the best life we can. We try to have as much fun as we can. We try to accumulate as much stuff as we can. And then we die and it all doesn't matter. There's a German philosopher called this Gewurfenheit, which means thrownness, that we've just been thrown into the world with really no purpose. But Jesus says, no, you're not thrown into the world you are sent into the world. Your life is not characterized by thrownness. It's characterized by sentness. And the more thrown that you feel, the less purpose you'll experience. The more sent that you feel by Jesus, the greater the purpose. Being sent is meant to mark your life. So we are all sent. We are all sent on mission. We're all on mission. And we all have a message. We have more than a message. In fact, if you read in Luke 10, he, he, you know, he talks about how we're to be neighbors, how we're to not just uh, tell people the message of the gospel. We're meant to demonstrate the message of the gospel to, to everyone who's near us. But we are given a message. And that's what he says here. We're all given a message to publicly communicate. And he even says to urge them, like, you know, that we need to urge people to believe this message. Now, this is not a popular idea. In fact, it, it, it's probably your main, if you're not a Christian, it may even be your main problem with Christians is like, you know, you have this thought like, hey, you know, it's great that Jesus find, you know, you, you, you've got peace in Jesus. You've got love in Jesus. That's good for you. And you just keep that private and you shouldn't tell anyone else this, you know, you have your truth and they have their truth. Um, but it's wrong to tell people that you have the truth and that they don't have the truth. Um, so I'm sure there are people right now who feel that way. Or may, maybe you don't believe that, but you at least you're a Christian and you feel that. You feel that objection and you wonder if it's true. But here's the problem with that problem. The word gospel here um, is, is the word that, it's not used in this passage, but it's the prominent phrase or word that, that Jesus uses and even the New Testament 
writers use to describe the message that we have. So we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They tell the story of Jesus. And the word gospel simply means good news. When the early church was trying to figure out how do we describe what this message that we have, they came up with the word gospel. And the word gospel has a very, very specific Meaning the, the, the gospel was news of an objective history changing event. And we have documents, we have historical documents that talk about gospel in a different way. So for example, uh, we have one document that says, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus. What, <laughs> what do they mean? Uh, well, it wasn't another religion. What it was, was it was news that Caesar Augustus had ascended to the throne. So we have doc- documents that start out that way, that this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus, that this was to be sent out. There's a message that, that Caesar Augustus this is now ascended to the throne and it needs to go out to everyone. This is a, an objective history changing event that affects everyone. You know, like if you lived in the Roman empire, you can't say, well, he's not my emperor. Um, you know, like I want a different emperor. You either bowed the knee or you became an emperor or you became an enemy of this Caesar. This was the gospel of Caesar Augustus. This was the good news that he had ascended to the throne. Maybe the most famous example of this Type of declaration was in AD 490, the Battle of Marathon. The Persians invaded the Greece, and man, um, <laughs> like the women's gymnastics, everyone thought that they would win. Everyone thought that the Persians would beat the Greeks. Everyone thought that, you know, like, you know, the Athenians were in trouble. They were afraid because they just knew, like, man, the Persians are going to come. And when everyone expected the Persians, to win, and everyone in Athens knew that once the Persians won, that they would break through and they would take over uh, Athens, and there'd be a panic, and everyone would need to leave uh, the city, riots, all that kind of stuff. But to everyone's surprise, the Greeks won, the Athenians won, and as soon as they did, they needed to communicate this gospel, this good news. Otherwise, the city would go in panic, and people would, you know, trample over each other, and they would leave the city unnecessarily. They needed to communicate the gospel that some history-changing event had happened that had changed everything, so they sent a single runner back. They sent uh, a runner back all the way from Marathon to Athens. It was about 22 and a half miles, which, of course, is where we get you know, our marathon from, he made it all the way back to Athens and he was able to say, and he was only able to say, rejoice, we've triumphed. And then he fell over dead. When Jesus Christ said, go and proclaim the gospel, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. He was talking about a history changing event that the God of the universe had entered a time space world that he was born and he lived a perfect life and he died for our sin and he rose to new life. This is good news. You need to run and tell everyone, preach the good news, not good advice. This is not good advice from a teacher. He did not come to teach us how to live. He came with good news. His birth, his life, his death is good news. So let's go back to the problem. Is, is trying to convert someone wrong? You know, like, you know, we've, we've got this message and we're, we're urged to, we're on a mission and, we, and part of our mission is to go declare this message. But, oh my gosh, you know, like, is that even the right thing to do? Is trying to convert someone wrong? Well, here's the problem with that problem. When you say you can believe in Jesus, but don't convert anyone, what you're, what you're really saying is don't believe in Jesus. 
Because Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is saying here that I have come into the world to set up a new kingdom, that I am the ultimate reality, that I am the truth, that I am the life, that I am the way, and that all other gods bow before me. So when you say you can believe in Jesus, but don't try to convert anyone, you're really saying don't believe in Jesus. To not to take this message would actually be a wicked thing because like, man, this is like the hope of the world. This is like the, 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 the hope for all humanity. You know, it's like having the cure for cancer and just being like, okay, I'm just gonna keep this to myself and not really, I mean, you know, I might share with a few friends and family, but I'm, I'm not really gonna declare it to the world. I mean, that would be horrible. And not only that, it's just not intellectually consistent. I mean, what, when you say don't try to convert anyone, that's really an attempt to try to convert someone. If you're saying like, hey, you can't make an absolute truth claim like that, you're making an absolute truth claim like that. We all have a cosmology. We all have a view of the universe. We all have a view of the way things are. And everyone who declares a view of the universe it, by very definition excludes others. Everybody says that. It's disingenuous at best and dishonest at worst to say that you can believe in Jesus, but don't try to convert anyone. When you tell the Christian, don't try to convert anyone, you're trying to convert them to whatever you believe. The answer is, that's not the answer, but what is the answer? Um, so if you are one that embraces this idea that you shouldn't try to convert people. On one hand, it's, it's, okay, we've talked about it, it's disingenuous, but I understand why, because there is a problem that we have. Because you see, because uh, I understand why that's true, because people see Christians, they see people of all religious groups, they see Christians in particular where they have a lot of anger, in some cases, oppress people, and even violence, and, and, and you see this being born out of this absolute religious claim. And so we think the answer is to say, okay, don't try to convert people. Just try to like, hey, everyone has a truth and just like, let's not try to convert anyone. But again, that's an attempt to try to convert people to the way that you believe. So that's not really the answer. But we do have to address how there are some people who make absolute truth claims that does lead to anger, that does lead to violence, that does lead to oppression. And believe it or not, Jesus actually addresses this. So every Christian has a mission and every Christian has a message. But here's the difference. Every Christian is meant to have a particular motivation. And your motivation for doing ministry makes all the difference in the world. We are given a mission, which is to deliver a message, which Jesus said is exclusive. He says, I've not come with peace. I've come with a sword. Uh, Matthew 10, 34, don't think I've come with peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. So we know that this message is going to be devices. It's divisive. It's going to put us in hot water. It's not going to cause us to win a lot of friends always. In fact, it may even cause us to lose friends and even family which is why he is saying here in this passage, where I'll show you where, that our motivation for mission, our motivation for the message that we give is so, so important. In fact, our motivation determines whether or not this message that we give that is like a sword that is full of power becomes a destructive thing or becomes a life-giving thing. And it's in verse 17 through 20. Verse 17 says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And in verse 18, 
He says to them, hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is kind of a subtle way of saying, hey, I was there in the beginning, I'm God. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So here's what he's saying. Saying, first of all, I want to affirm that you do have this power. That you do have the power where even the demons are subject to you. I have, I have defeated the enemy. I have defeated death. I have defeated Satan. I have defeated sin. And through that defeat, yes, you have, in fact, in Matthew 28, before he leaves, he says, all authority I give to you. So he affirms this power. Of course you have this power, but check out verse 20. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in other words, Jesus is saying, I like what you're doing. I don't lo- like why you're doing it. I like that you're going out and preaching and this message and, and you are casting out demons and healing the sick. I love that you are doing this. This is what I've called you to. This is what I've appointed you to. I have given you the power to do this. I like what you're doing. I don't like why you're doing it. I don't like your motivation. What was their motivation? Well, their motivation wasn't that look at all the people that we are helping. Look at all the people we are helping. Look at all the people we were healing. Look, people are free, they're liberated, they're restored, marriages are better, all this stuff. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, Lord, man, we're really something. Look at us. It says this, it says, Lord, the demons are subject to us. They're, They're going out on mission was about them. Even the demons are subject to us. Aren't we special? More people should be like us. He says, don't, don't have that be motivated. Don't be the source of, don't the source of your joy be your ministry success. Don't be the source of your joy be the fact that you have truth. Don't, be the, don't let the source of your joy be that you have this power. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does it mean to have your name written in heaven. Some of you are too old to remember phone books, but I remember the very first time I got my own apartment and I had my own landline. And because I had my own landline, when I got the phone book, I would open up the phone book to Maori, to Brian, and there's my name in the, oh, that was an amazing thing. I was like, an ama- I still remember the day I got my phone book and saw my name in the phone book for the very first time. And there's something about having your name written, even in our culture, but back then it was even a bigger deal to have your name written down. It meant that you're really someone because everyone that lived in a town wasn't a citizen. Only citizens had their names written on the book for whatever, on the roll of that city. You had to be someone. You couldn't just be an average Joe. You had to be someone with the name. It means that you were someone. It's where you got your sense of self. And that's what Jesus is saying. Get your sense of self, get your identity, not from power, not from performance, not from ministry, not from accomplishments, but from me. Otherwise, you'll get caught up, that made, caught up in something that made even Satan fall, which was pride. So when you go out and do ministry and tell the truth of the gospel and you, you urge people to believe this and, and you need to urge people to believe this, some will reject you. And they may persecute you, he says in other places. But some, my power will work through you. And if you get your identity from whether or not people are listening to you, Um, 
it will become your sense of importance. And people who rejoice in their performance, this becomes a path of self-actualization. So your, 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 your identity is, look, I am somebody because I minister. In fact, that happens in a church. We, we get caught up in roles and like, you know, that person who has that role is really something because we look at them. They, they, they really make an impact. And this person over here or, or me even, like I, I'm not something because I don't have, and Jesus is like, look, none of us should be getting our identity out of our ministry because it leads to it actually may lead you to not engage in the mission. God has given you something to do, but because you don't think it's very important, you don't engage. But the other thing that you do is if you, if you do have something that's perceived to be successful and impressive, like the demons being subject to you, you could get coercive or manipulative and use people as trophies. So the people you minister become trophies. And, and, and then when people reject you, you get angry. In fact, that happened to disciples in Luke Nine, just the, the verses before in verse 53 and 54. But the people who did not receive them because his face was sort, set toward Jerusalem, so they rejected the message of Jesus. And when his disciples, James and Son, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And <laughs> people look at Christians and they think that's what they do. Like we have this message and we want people to believe this message. And we, you know, we, want, we want prayer, we want this, we want all these different things. We want Christian values. And when people reject it, they see us attack. They see us call, want to call fire down from heaven. But what does Jesus do when he sees this? Well, in verse 55, he says, he turned to them and rebuked them. He didn't cancel them. He kept them. He, you know, he worked with them, but he did rebuke them. And so the world sees religious people like Christians making these absolute truth claims that we're meant to do. We have a mission and we have a message and we need to urge people to believe it, but we have to have the right motivation. People see Christians, um, they see us attack when we reject them and they're scared of that and they should be scared of that. That's why Jesus rebuked them. So our motivation has to be centered in what Christ has done for us in the past on the cross for our sins, taking our place. I love it says in verse 20, he says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, not will be written. You know, a lot of people think of, you know, then and now, like, you know, this is the gospel. The gospel is I live a good life. If my good deeds, you know, outweigh the bad deeds, you know, at the end of my life, then that's when it gets decided whether I'm in the book or I'm not in the book. And people are kind of hoping, I hope I live a good enough life. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, hey, if you play your cards right, maybe one day you'll get in. He says, no, you need to rejoice that right now your names are written in heaven. You've been accepted. You've been let in. So let me leave you with this question before we close. Are you following Jesus in his mission or are you trying to get him to be on your mission? Do you live sent? Do you live with this sense that my life is about following Jesus, about going wherever he goes? There are some in, in if you read through the gospels, who he calls that just flat out reject him. Say, no, I've got some other things to do. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. You know, I'm busy and I've got this thing to do. But the call of the disciple is to live sin, to live on message with him, to, to live with a sense of mission and to deliver a message. Are you delivering this 
message. You can deliver this message in a corporate way, which means to get involved, get involved in serving, get involved in community, get involved in giving. But there's an individual way. And the way that we see this playing out most of the time individually is we do something called bless. And in all of our physical locations, we have these little cards blessed. They may be one in your seat or in a table in the back of the auditorium. If you're watching this online, if you just uh, message uh, your service host, we can give you one of these cards. But on this card, it's just blessed. We want to begin with prayer. We want to listen. We want to eat. We want to do hospitality with people. Uh, we want to serve them and we want to share a story. So basically blessed. Like we want to do, we want to live this out. And that one, that last one story is where we share the message at the appropriate time with the help of the Holy Spirit, we share our story of what God has done for us. And we don't get any identity out of whether they say yes or whether they say no. Now we want them to say yes because we want good things for them. But these are these people that we are, that God has sent us to. They've, we've been sent to a neighborhood. We've been sent to a workplace. We've been sent to a school. We want to live sent in these spaces and places, which means that we deliver this message. And our joy is in Christ and what he has done for us. And we deliver this message. And some, many will reject us. In fact, most will, but some will receive. Some will receive this message and it'll be to their joy and God's glory. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to, to live sent and to take this message with the right motivation, which is you want to help people and your, your joy, your security is in Christ. So people can reject you. People can go online and say all kinds of bad things for you, but that is not your source of joy. So there's no reason to attack. There's just reason to love because you're living in the goodness of what God has done for you. And I want to particularly encourage to take this season in the month of August to consider who you might deliver this message to. At the end of this month, August 29th, we're going to have a big Sunday where we're going to invite as many people as possible to come hear the message of Jesus and the purpose that he has for their life. So here's what I want you to do. I, want, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you that you and I would live sin. Next week, I'll get into more about the methods, some specific methods that Jesus has called us to. Uh, but let me pray for you and then we'll close. Father, I just thank you that you've included us in your plan. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are always with us in this plan, that it's not up to us, but it's up to you. Lord Jesus, we want to live sent uh, in your life. We want to follow you in your life and not simply ask you to be involved in us. Oh, are you involved in our life? Oh, how you want to heal us and bless us. You care about us. You know every hair on our head. But Lord, we want to be sent in following you. We want your life, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would help us in this. In your name, amen.